I will never ever again eat a candied apple. Now, I know the county fairs in town, so I thought it was appropriate to bring this up today. Because as a matter of fact, I can barely stand to the, the thought of going to a county fair. Now, if there's bad pro wrestling or the appearance of Bigfoot or a grave digger, maybe I will show up at a county fair. But I will not be there for the rides and particularly for any of the food. It makes me nauseous to even think about it, specifically candied apples. I'll never forget the first time I laid eyes on this glistening candy shell of forbidden fruit. It was a hot summer night in Tennessee. There was the smell of gasoline all around from the generators that were running the, the, the rides and uh, the, the, the places where they were selling food. You could smell the gas in the air and you could hear the, the creaks and whines of the metal death traps all around you. And the gaudy fair lights lit up the middle Tennessee sky. I'll never forget this night. And after being stuffed with a, a candied apple, it, it looks so delicious from the outside. It, it looks uh, it, it looked so inviting. And so I gorged myself, I think with two candied apples before I got on the ride known as the zipper. Now, I, I Googled the zipper this week, and I encourage you to do this. I don't know if this thing is still legal, but it's this ride that, that takes you up uh, probably 50 feet in the air and spins you around over and over and over again. And me and some friends of mine, we decided we would ride this ride not once, but several times over and over and over. It was late in the night. Other people had gone home, and so we could just get on this ride over and over and over again. And some of you know the end of the story. By the time I got home and was laying in my bed, I regretted the decision to partake of the candied apple and to ride the ride over and over and over again because I'd spent hours after that violently disposing of the candied apple. And even saying candied apple is making me nauseous right now. And even thinking about that night is making me sick. The texture of that apple, the, the, the candied shell, and biting into it, I, I want to throw up just standing here. I'm not going to do that. Hopefully I don't do that. You see the sermon, you may, or when we get through the sermon, you may wonder why I'm even bringing that up at this point. But we all have moments like that, whether we are at an amusement park, whether we... Uh, eat seafood that doesn't set well with us. We all have those moments that we can think back of some kind of food, some kind of event, some kind of moment that makes us sick, and we even now get, get queasy when we think about it. Well, believe it or not, the Lord's Supper is to make us sick. Paul wrote three to four letters to the Corinth, the believers in Corinth, and these believers were full of selfish pride. They had been taught by these super apostles to pride themselves in, in the way they appeared to others. Apostles who could speak really well, who positioned themselves as, as wise teachers, and they propped themselves up 
among the Corinthians and said, this is what you boast in, your power, your wealth, your skill. You need to be like us if you're going to win in life. And such selfish pride was always on display at their gatherings, particularly gatherings they had called love feast, kind of fellowships where they would get together and what was going on at these feasts where people were coming in and, and instead of considering one another at their gatherings, they, they would begin just feasting in their little groups, little groups that were divided according to their leaders. Even some of the apostles, the Corinthians would say, I'm of Paul. Others would say, I'm of Peter. Uh, others would say, I'm of Apollos. And they would gather in those little groups and they would gather and begin to feast and drink, not considering the rest of the body. And Paul says, this is a display of your selfish pride. You think so much of yourself, and it is on display at these little feasts. And what's even going on is there are people who are indulging in the pleasure of food and drink, while others who are coming to church, they're starving to death, and you don't even care. Well, the solution to such pride throughout 1 Corinthians is the message of the cross. This is what Paul says, humiliates us is the message, Christ and Him crucified. The reality of a crucified Messiah, which in our minds should make no sense. A king who is killed, that saves us? No wisdom would say, to be rescued, we need a king who wins. We need a king who comes in and dominates. And yet Paul says, to temper your pride, to crush your pride, the only way you can be saved is through a king who loses. And in his losing, he displays the wisdom and power of God. And so the solution to pride in the church is the message of the cross. And it is the cross, when we come before the cross and we really understand it, it is the cross that makes us nauseated with our own pride, sick with our selfishness. Before the cross, you, you, you can't stand there boasting in your strength. Before the cross, you can't stand there boasting in your wisdom. The cross proves, first of all, we are weak. Because on the cross, Jesus is doing something we can't do. The cross proves we are fools. Because we, we prize winning and domination and power. And yet, we see the one with the most power the most authority, losing for our benefit, for our good, for our salvation. And it proves we're fools for never in a million eternities would we have planned that. And so the cross is the solution to pride in the church, the message of the cross. And so when we come before the Lord's table, when we ingest... <laughs> bread and the juice, the cup, when we take these things that remind us of the cross, in very tangible ways they are to make us queasy of the ways in which we assert our pride in the church. 
Notice in verse 23 as Paul reminds these believers of the Lord's table. We have the message of the cross and here he's going to remind them of the meal of the cross. The way you come together so selfishly and so prideful, I have a solution for that. It is the Lord's table. Verse 23 As we just read, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took the bread. Before Jesus' crucifixion, he instituted what we know and what we will celebrate today as the Lord's table. And he does so in place of the Passover. The Passover was when the, the people of God, Israel, celebrated their exodus from Egypt. And they would come together around the Passover lamb to to remember the night when in their homes, lambs were taken and their throats were slit and blood was wiped over the door. And when God came into Egypt to judge, he passed over their homes and judged even Pharaoh's firstborn while he led them out of Egypt. And Israel would get together and they would celebrate the Passover. And Jesus celebrates with his disciples. And yet, he transforms the Passover. Notice the text continues. When he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Here, the bread replaces the lamb because there's no need for a lamb anymore. Because Jesus, in his flesh and blood, will be the Lamb of God who is crushed. Notice he continues. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Remember me. I am the centerpiece of this meal from now on. Verse 25, in the same way he took the cup, and this would have been the cup of celebration. And after the supper, he took the cup, and he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. For years and years and years, you have remembered and you have took part in in sacrificing the blood of the lamb for your sin, and yet now the lamb of God will be sacrificed. My blood will be spilt out. My blood will cover your sins. And so when you come to this meal, it is a new covenant, a commitment to your good with my life. And he says, do this, and as often as you drink of it, in remembrance of me. I am at the center of the meal. Verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, notice the purpose of the meal. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So if the cross is the solution to pride, the cross humiliates us of our power and our wisdom, makes us sick of how sinful and selfish and prideful we can be. If the cross does that to us, the mill of the cross is to do the same. Notice the purpose again, to proclaim the Lord's death. This mill proclaims the message of the cross in a very tangible way. And if the cross destroys our pride, this mill that celebrates the cross in the bread and the cup is to cause us to be sick of our sinful pride. You see, the reality is an ego should be toxic at the table today. Your ego, as you come in here today and you're trusting in your self-righteousness, maybe you came to church to prove something to God. Maybe you came to church today 
trying to make God happy. And yet when you come before the cross and you see perfection crucified for you, when you see the sinless Son of God lynched before the world, you're put on blast as a sinner. You come before God today and saying, I have no righteousness. In and of myself, there's nothing I can do apart from Jesus that would actually make you happy. And so to come before the table today, the mill of the cross, trusting in yourself, is an act of pride. And yet the table is to be a tangible act of worship that destroys pride in the church. We come before the cross today. Some of us in very narcissistic, self-centered ways where we think we are the center of the world and we are alienating ourselves from others and we are serving ourselves and it's my way or the highway and we come before a crucified Messiah for us. And we're to repent of such narcissism and selfishness. We're not the center of the world. And if the one who is the center of the world can be crucified for me, what does that say about myself? And we repent of selfishness today. Our strength. Consider this. Jesus in his weakest moment saves us. And in your most powerful moments, you can't come near to what he does for you. You have, no, you have no strength to save yourself. And in his weakest moment, he saves you. And so you come in here today and you're thinking, I'm just going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm going to get it together. I'm going to be disciplined. I'm going to do things right. And you're trusting in your strength before the cross. That should make you nauseous. I don't have it within me. I have to come and I have to trust in what Jesus has done. And what this does for the church as our pride is destroyed at the cross, as our pride is destroyed as we celebrate the cross in the mill, is that it obliterates haughty divisions. Prideful people divide up. Humiliated, meek people draw together in their common weakness. And that's what the table is to do for us today. It is to draw us together as a family in shared weakness, in, 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 in the understanding that apart from Jesus, we are fools and we are weak and we don't have it in ourselves. And we acknowledge that at the table and that draws us together in our need for one another and our service to one another. But notice the warning in verse 27. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Now, that's a stark warning. And I, and I want to put it before you today in fear, in trembling, in reverence. That's how we come before the table, making sure in our own hearts that we will not step forward in an unworthy manner. In light of what the cross is to do, obliterate our pride, we cannot come before the table prideful today. Paul warns us of this. He says here, he says, whoever eats in light of the purpose of the cross, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, notice, will be guilty, deserving judgment concerning the body and blood of the Lord. What does it mean to come before 
the table in an unworthy manner? Well, to declare something worthy, which is worship, is to declare its value, to, to declare its worth. And so to come before the Lord's table today in an unworthy manner would be to declare the ta- not just the table, but the cross it represents as worthless. To come before the table today and say, the cross is unworthy and Jesus is worthless to me. Who does that? Someone who is full of pride. Someone who is full of themselves. And they are guilty concerning the body and blood of Jesus. It is as though they are the ones who who have on their hands the blood of Christ. Why? Because they say, I don't need Christ. He's unworthy. He's worthless. You come before the table in pride, trusting your righteousness, trusting your strength, trusting your wisdom. You are saying, the strength of Jesus is useless to me. I don't need him. I can save myself. I don't need his wisdom. I'm smart enough in and of myself. I I don't need his righteousness. I can achieve this in and of myself. And he says, if you come before the table in that way, you are saying, Jesus is worthless to me. And you are just as those who killed him. You don't need him. And so today, personally, how do you render the cross worthless at the table? Selfish pride. Self-righteous pride. You see, we, we read that verse sometimes and we think, well, I need to begin to think back at all my sin this week. I need to think about how bad I am. And I need to work up some remorse for all of my sin and all of the bad things that I did. And I need to confess that you need to do some of that today. But the sin Paul is talking about in approaching the table is self-righteous pride. When you come before the table and say, I don't need it. I don't need Jesus. I can do this in and of myself. You render the cross worthless. What you are saying is, I am worthy. You, you come before the table in an unworthy way by saying, first of all, I'm worthy. I deserve this. Do you know who I am? Do, do you know all the things I've done in my life? I am a Southern Baptist old head who remembers mission friends and discipleship training. And I have given more to the cooperative program and Lottie Moon and mission efforts my whole life than anybody here combined. Do you know who I am? If that's, who, if that's how you approach the table today, you are unworthy of it. If you think that's what, God makes, what makes God happy, you are unworthy of the table. Don't come to the table in that way today. Some of us will come to the table in self-condemning pride. It's not just the self-righteous who say, I'm worthy. There's some of you here today who will approach the table in pride that says, I am unworthy. But you're saying the same thing. Jesus is the one who's worthless. Because in your thoughts and your feelings, you're saying, how in the world could he pay for my sin? How could he pay for my sin? You don't know the things that, you don't know how I feel about this. You don't know the thoughts I have about assurance of salvation. You don't know the struggle I have with that. And many struggle with that in severe ways today. And as kind and gracious as I can say to you, 
That is an unworthy way to approach the table because you are saying Jesus' blood is worthless. The infinite, perfect blood of Christ isn't enough to cover your sin. God says it is. And so Paul says, don't come to the table with such pride. Saying Jesus is worthless, I am worthy, or even saying I am unworthy. That's what he's addressing here today. To be worthy at the table is not looking for worth in yourself or lack of worth in yourself, but by faith being found only in the one who is worthy, who is Christ. You come to the table worthy today by by turning from yourself and turning to Christ. And it is only the prideful among us who will continue to lift up self at the table. Notice he continues verse 28. This is how serious he is. He says, let each person examine himself. Now, here it is an individual in the church who must consider his own personal faith. So he's addressing the individual here. Let each person examine himself. And so today, you come before the table. You have to examine yourself. Am I coming before the table with pride? Or am I coming before the table today boasting in the cross of Christ alone? Humiliated before the cross. Examine yourself today. Then he, the word examine means to judge, actually. It means to discern how you are partaking of the table. You examine yourself and then you move forward and you partake. You eat of the bread and drink of the cup. But notice verse 29. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Notice the difference there. When he says eats and drinks without discerning the body, he doesn't say body and blood. He just says body. And he says if you don't discern the body, you drink judgment on yourself. What is he referring to? He's referring to the church. This is the point of the whole book. You're not considering one another. And so you come before the Lord's table and you first of all examine your own heart before the Lord. What does the cross mean to you? And then you begin to consider yourself in the context of the body, the church. You examine yourself in light of the cross in the context of the body. That's how you come before the Lord's table. The Lord's table isn't an isolated individual act that is to be done alone. The Lord's table is an act that is done in the context of the body because you are to consider the effects of the cross and the effects of the gospel in your own life in the way that you relate to the body at all times. Why is that? Because your relationships with others is a tangible indication of your pride. If you stand before God always and say, I'm not prideful, I'm not prideful, this is between me and God, you can convince yourself you're not prideful. But if you stand before God in the context of community and you say, I'm not prideful, I'm not prideful, there are others who see that you are. And there's others who are affected by your selfishness. Because if you stand before God and you stand before the cross and you stand before the love of God in the cross, what is that going to propel you to do? To serve others. And so the way in which you serve others or don't serve others is an indication of your pride. 
It is, an, it is a display of your selfishness. And so he says, make sure as you examine your heart and you examine your life before the body, questions you should ask is, am I serving the body? Do I love the body? And the one who is unwilling to do this drinks judgment and condemnation on himself. So to come before the table as a narcissist who believes he is alone is to drink judgment. It's an unworthy way. You come before with the church. You come before in the church. And you come before the table for the church. And in the passage we read earlier, Paul says, you can judge yourself in this way. I, I, I appeal to you to examine your own heart in the context of the body. I also would tell you this, if you don't judge yourself, Jesus will judge you. And if you read in the passage that we read earlier, we see in a very tangible way the church in Corinth was being judged. He says, that's why some of you are sick. That's why some of you are dying. By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul is able to look in on this selfish church full of pride and he says, you're coming to the Lord's table full of yourself, serving yourself, and you don't give a rip about one another, and you're divided up, and you're destroying the body. That's why some of you are coming down with illness, physical illness, and you're dying. And that's not an Old Testament plague. This is the New Testament church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Should that not at least say something to us about the cavalier way we approach the table? Should we not come before the table with a sense of gravity, examining our own hearts, and then asking the question, what, what, do, what do I look like in the context of the church? As a member, as a part of this body, what does it look like for me? Paul's very clear here. Self-centered pride at the table is to drink judgment on yourself. And it just begins with this simple reality. Coming to the table and believing you're alone. You're the only one in the room. And that the world revolves around you. That is an unworthy way to approach the table. The Lord's table is to remind us that God the Father is creating a family by His Spirit. Through our brother, the Son... In the gospel, which we feast on by faith, the Lord's table is to remind us we are family before God. And to come before the Lord's table thinking you're the only one in the room, you're like the kid who shows up at the dinner table and the father has prepared a wonderful meal. Mom has spent all day getting it ready, serving, making sure everybody's schedule's just right, and everybody's going to be at the table, and the kid shows up with the phone in their face, consumed with themselves, and doesn't even realize the family is there, lost in their own world, not interacting with anyone else. I'm the only one in the world, and my world is all that matters. How many of you have showed up here today like that? You're gathered with other people, 
but you're the only one on your mind. You've gathered in a room full of needs, people who need the gospel all around you. You've gathered in a room full of people who love you. And yet the only thing on your mind are your problems, your issues, your struggles. You know what the cross does? The the, the cross purchases a body, a family. God says to us in the church, it is not good for you to be alone. Why? So you have to raise your head up and look around and you're not the center of the world and that's good for you. The more you isolate, the more you alienate, the more you believe the world is about you, the more miserable you'll be. And don't come to the table in such an unworthy way. Paul is clear here. Selfish pride at the table is to drink judgment. It is hypocrisy to feast on the sacrifice of Christ by faith, believing it. Jesus died for you. His blood was shed for you and then refused to sacrifice for others. You say, I need Jesus' sacrifice for me more than anything, but it's mine. Mercy, grace, and love, it's mine. And you're not considering the body and how you can display love, mercy, and sacrifice. That's hypocrisy. It's like coming to this same Father's table, and you show up. And maybe you're not consumed with yourself, but you begin to push everybody else out of the way. You, you get your plate of food and you, you pull it over to yourself. And then you begin to take things off of other people's plate. And you get your backpack and your purse and you cram it full of food. And then you go off into another room and you begin to gorge yourself. That is a selfish way to come to the table, right? Right? How many of us are doing that today with the gospel? The gospel is mine. The gospel is mine. The gospel is mine. Y'all don't need the gospel. By the way, that doesn't happen. The person who says the gospel is mine will make sure others are tasting the gospel and experiencing the gospel. Why is that? Because the cross, when truly understood, is truly understood as the most valuable, worthy thing in our lives. And it comes to us with such glory and value and weight that it does fill us up. It meets all of our needs, but it overflows to the world around us, specifically the church around us. Listen, you're surrounded by people who need the gospel today. People who need love, grace, and mercy. They need to be prayed for. They need to be served. You need to speak to them today the gospel. And so when you come to to the table and you remember what Jesus did for you, you are committed to doing the same for others. You're full of the gospel. And so you want to give the gospel to others in the church. And so as we get close to approaching the table, let's take just a few minutes to really examine our hearts today. As individuals before the table, let's ask some questions. First of all, how do you repent of making the cross worthless in self-righteous pride and condemnation today? How do you repent of that? I don't want to come before the table in an unworthy way. 
So what must I do? I must repent of self-righteousness. How do I do this? Ask yourself the honest question in this moment. Participate, right? What are things that you are trusting in instead of the cross? In this moment, what is it? Is it being at church today? Is it, I'm glad that we have the Lord's table today. That's bonus before God. It's going to be really happy with me today. What, what are things in this moment that you're trusting in at church instead of the cross? It's sin to bring fast food to the table the Father has prepared. And that's what your goodness is. It's not good enough. It's fast food in light of the feast of the gospel. It's, it would also be sin to try to prepare your own meal before the Father's table, and that's what your works are. It would be unworthy to bring your works and your goodness to the table today. Are you here today and you're comparing yourself to others in this moment? As he talks about self as, as I talk about self-righteousness, in your mind, are you thinking about people who are more self-righteous than you? And you're saying, I'm glad they showed up today. And I'm glad he's really hammering self-righteousness because they are very self-righteous. Well, you're the most self-righteous person you know today, if that's what you're doing. Do you need to repent of that? Nothing in my hand I bring, only to the cross I cling. That's how we approach the table today. Another way to examine yourself is ask yourself, why am I doubting that Jesus' blood, that his payment for my sin is enough. Why am I doubting that? Jesus is the sinless, perfect Lamb of God, complete in righteousness, always right. Obeyed the Father perfectly, without blemish. And the Father has accepted His payment for your sin. Why would you doubt that? Is it simply your feelings? And so today you have to tell yourself, I can't trust my feelings. I trust the word of God and I trust what is true about Jesus and he's perfect and he is righteous. Examine your heart in those ways. Why is it? Why do I have these thoughts that Jesus isn't enough? And do battle by the spirit and the word that says Jesus is enough today. Some of us are like the, the orphan kid. They're adopted and they come to the family table and they're scared to death. They're scared to death to dig in. They're trembling. You're not an orphan. You're a son in the son, a child of God because of what Jesus has done. And the father invites you to the table to dig in. Don't come before the table with pride believing that Jesus isn't enough. Feast and trust the gospel. And then we must repent of rendering the cross worthless in self-centered pride. Self-centered pride that is blind to the family that God has placed us in. And so ask yourself this question. How am I isolating myself from my church family for my own purposes? Are there things in your life where you say, I'll show up to this, I'll do this, but I got to put some boundaries up because these people just kind of inconvenience my life. This person's issue is a burden. Listen, your issues were a burden to Jesus, and he carried them to Calvary for you. 
How are you isolating yourself from your church family? Are you protecting your time and your energy instead of serving and loving others? And I'm not just talking about programs here at church. I'm talking about really getting into one another's lives. Love, forgive, being gracious. Which is another question. Do you need to confess and repent of causing division in the church? Maybe things people don't know or never know that you've said. But your intent was to prop yourself up, my wisdom, my power, my ministry, and push others down. And you're causing division. Do you need to repent of that? Do you need to confess and repent of specific gossip and slander? Do you need to repent of holding a grudge and failing to forgive others and begin to show grace? Are you hoarding the gospel to yourself? Are there ways in which you are really hard on other people? Things that you do well. I'm smart in this area. I know this kind of theology. Or I'm here and I'm serving all the time and I'm doing these things the right way and yet they're not. And they don't have an excuse for not being here. They don't have an excuse for knowing these things. And you're really easy on yourself, gracious with yourself, but you're really hard on others. Do you need to repent of such pride today? You see, we, we often come to the table and we try to work up some sorrowful feelings about horrible things that we've done just so we can feel sorry for ourselves in the moment. And so often we come to the table and we're blinded to the most obvious sin in the moment and it is our pride. It is our pride. And yet today, as we partake of the table... We partake in a worthy way by saying, I'm unworthy, but Jesus is worthy. And we look around and we see the church that Jesus has made worthy of our love by shedding his blood. I pray today that we do come to the table today and we all get sick. We get sick on our pride. And we repent of it. And we look to the cross as we feast and delight in what he has provided for us.